Welcome back, everyone, to the Ohio Valley Athletics Podcast. This is episode number seven. I'm Brian Gossett, and with me, of course, is Sean Ryan. First, I want to kick this episode off by thanking our sponsor, Ohio Valley Nutrition. They are based out of St. Clairsville, and uh, great folks. I've known Jeff, the owner there, for a couple years. He's super passionate about being able to help people, people's health, uh, very involved in the community. Uh, love sports, specifically high school sports. So all of our listeners out there, please check them out for all of your health and nutrition needs. Whether you want to gain muscle, lose fat, injury prevention, joints, ligaments, they'll be able to help you if you go out there and talk to them. Sean, it's good to have you back. We had a really cool episode last week with Jose Davis getting Coach Davis on here. That was probably my favorite episode that we've done together. That was fun. Jose's got a lot to say, and he's got a lot of experience. So anytime you've got someone like that, and a lot of times when you talk to athletes or coaches, that they don't like to be in front of a camera or a microphone. But you think about it, he's been doing it since he was, what, 14, 15? I mean, yep. he's, he's really used to it. So that was fun. I, I like that. I made a comment on that last episode that, man, you, he, he sounds like an athletic director. And I listened to that. I usually listen to the episode after we do it. You know, of course, I listen to it once after we do it because I edit it. And then I'll usually listen to it once more when I'm working out. I, I listen to that one probably in, in bits and pieces, probably three different times. Um, and in that second half, he, he literally did sound like an athletic director. It got me thinking. Uh, you know, we'll have to ask him next time he's on, you know, why isn't he involved in coaching or in some sort of sports capacity this year? But it got me thinking he's a heck of a free agent on the sidelines right now. Absolutely. But he's been doing it so for so long and we kind of touched on it. It, it takes up so much of your time. Yeah. Sometimes you, you just need a break and, you know, he's got a lot of people at home that need his attention too. So but you can tell just by listening to him, he still he still has the itch. So he might not be doing it right now, but I think you'll see him again somewhere sometime. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I think he's going to be back involved probably sooner than later. So also in the past week, heck, it was probably about uh, three or four days ago, you published an article on our website, ovathletics.com that COVID's here to stay, let our kids play. And Sean, we haven't talked about this article since you posted it. Well, I guess that day we, we exchanged a couple of messages. Um, I, I thought you did a great job articulating what a lot of people are thinking, myself specifically, what I'm thinking. Um, but for context, uh, an average article that we post on our website, it gets anywhere from two to 4,000 unique clicks. We just posted this article three, four days ago, and it's already had more than 10,000 unique clicks. That, that article is pretty popular, uh, very popular, and it's only been, been published for a couple of days. Um, I th again, I thought you did a really good job articulating what a lot of people are thinking in that article. What's interesting to me is we talk about the unique hits, and I'm just thinking, I wonder how many, how many administrators, how many teachers, how many coaches clicked on it and just can't say anything publicly. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, I'm glad to hear that. It, it's something that's not only is COVID itself not going away, but the discussion's not going away. Um, 
because we see more of our freedoms, for lack of a better term, I think being threatened right now. And I, what I was excited about was we got a lot of feedback and a good bit of it was positive. Um, I, I honestly, I thought it was going to be the other way around or 50, 50 at best. Um, but it, it seemed to be pretty well received, which, which is good because we need to have that conversation and we need to have it honestly. And I don't think we do because we, anymore we're such a political society where we tend to come at it from that group's point of view. And, you know, I heard from a number of people, you know, this, the way this goes, at least in a public forum is if you're against masks or vaccines, you're a Trump guy or a Trump girl. Yep. And if, if you want it to, then you're, if you want everybody to get the vaccine, if you want everybody to wear a mask, then you're on the other side. You know, I heard very positive comments from people I know who aren't, who don't fall into that category, yep. which was, it was refreshing to see. And I was, I was glad to know that there are other people out there that feel the same way. Yeah, I agree with you. For anybody who hasn't got to read that article yet, I encourage you to head over to our website, ovathletics.com. The article is titled, COVID's Here to Stay, Let Our Kids Play. For context, Sean is a coach himself. Um, he's, he, his kids are involved in sports. He had COVID himself, and he also lost a family member uh, that was, was diagnosed with COVID as well. So he's experienced this from a lot of different dynamics and um, without, without taking away from all of the article, you know, his thought is we, we know what COVID is. Let's stop penalizing our children. Sean, what, what I, when I read that article, I had an idea where you're going to go with it, but after I read it, something that, that kind of stood out to me is there's, there's no shortage of, of articles that you can find through a simple Google search of how dangerous COVID is. Um, why isn't there anything, it's, it's almost, it's, it's so hard to find anything of anybody talking about your angle of, let's stop and talk about the negative consequences this is having for our, for, for our young kids, um, let alone a sports perspective. Nobody's touching that. And I get, I get that COVID's sensitive, but you cannot deny that the way that kids have suffered from this with at-home learning, which you touch on, not going to school, which you touch on, um, sports being canceled, not postponed, canceled, which you touch on, nobody's at all discussing the, the short-term or long-term benefits this is going to have on our youth. And I think that's crazy that nobody's talking about that. Do you want to know my honest opinion on that? I'd love to hear it. I think our listeners would love to hear it. I think it's out there. I think there are other stories out there like that, but the media and big tech are not allowing us to see it. Um, big tech has been busted and if not busted openly admitted, it changes algorithms. So that you see when you, you know, when you go on Google 
and you search for something, X, Y, and Z are the first things you see. Yep. And we we live in a, a time right now where media is just shoving what I uh, pushing what I call fear porn down our throats. They they want us to be a fearful society, and I'm very much of the opinion that I, I'm not overly religious. Okay, but I I do believe in God. And I, I pray nightly and I'm just of the opinion that when you're born, your story's already written and nothing is going to change that when it has been decided that it's your time to go out, it's your time to go out and nothing's going to change that. So am I fearful for COVID of COVID? I'm not personally. Do does the thought cross my mind that my children could get it? Yeah, because I'm a parent and that scares the living hell out of me because I could not. Uh, if anything happened where one of my kids left this earth, just put me in a coffin right beside him because I'm done. Yeah, yeah, I, I will not be able to function and I'll be done. That being said. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make them hide under the beds. I'm just not. They have to be kids. They have to learn life's lessons. And, you know, my oldest daughter's 13 now. She'll be in high school next year. And some of the stuff I say about this, I, I already see it from. I get the look and she's like, are you serious, dad? Fine. That's all right. You're, you know, you're starting to know some stuff, but you don't know stuff. And yep. I, I'm just, I'm going to let my kids live. And I, I get upset by the fact that there are one or two people that are not in my family that ultimately get to decide whether my kids get to live life. You know, the, the, the Charleston Gazette, which I follow on Facebook, Every single time the uh, Governor Jim Justice holds a press briefing, the headline is Justice says no mandatory masks are on the table. People are out there pushing for this. Right. And that's, 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 to me, that's more scary than COVID itself. People are literally holding their hands out and saying, here, Government, you know better how I should live my life than I do. Excuse my language, but bullshit. I'm, I'm not dealing with that. And it, it, it makes me legitimately angry. Like I'm sitting here talking about it now and I've got that feeling in my gut. No, just stay out of it. I just turned 44 the other day. I make some dumb decisions, but that's how we learn. For 43 years, I made my own decisions. I don't need somebody to step in now and tell me what I need to do or how I need to raise my children or what's safe for them. I worry enough about my own children. I'm not taking advice from somebody else. You know, I, I try not to judge. And I, I really mean that. The older I get, I try not to judge. You know, I've, I've, I've been through enough and I've met enough people that you never know what's, what's 
going on in their life, their shoes. Having said that, um, it, it, it just gets me the wrong way when someone is trying to ask if I've been vaccinated, which I haven't. And they try to convince me that I'm being irresponsible. And I am judging when I say this, but I'm looking at the person that's telling me how irresponsible I'm being and I'm looking at them and they're obese or they clearly aren't healthy their self. And, and in my head, I'm thinking, imagine if we as a society put the same kind of focus that we have around a mask or a vaccine around having a nicotine free society or a, a high fat diet less society you know imagine if we picketed against fast food places as a society like we're rebelling against people that won't wear a mask um we're we're focusing on this and to me there's so many other things if we really wanted to get granular and talk about living a healthy life what's preventative what can you control i feel like the we're, we're missing a whole lot of things that are way more important than a mask or a vaccine well, it's because, number one, we have a very judgmental society. And number two, we have a society these days that apparently needs to be told what they should be outraged by. And third, they have situational outrage. Where if they don't like something, that's the problem. There are no other problems. It's this. And we have a huge problem with what about is people will say, you can't say anything about, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to do this without them somehow turning that around and attacking your personal character about something that's completely different. Yeah, well, you do this. No, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I do do that. And you know what? That's my decision. Just like if you want to go to, the, to McDonald's and order six Big Macs, three, three large fries, and a Diet Coke. Yep. I don't care. Because that's, you have the ability to do that. You're, you're a grown person. You do what you want. And that's the biggest problem. We can't just do what we want and leave the other person alone. It has to be a certain way. You're outraged by this, so I have to be outraged by this. And if I'm not outraged by that, well, my God, I'm a terrible person. Yeah. No. Yep. Get the hell out of here. Just, just go. Yep. Yeah. You just hit on something that it's, it's, it's almost like there's a, there's a group, a section of our population that wants to penalize the rest. So you got this section of our population that says, I don't feel comfortable not wearing a mask. So you must wear one too, to make me feel more comfortable. That's more what's happening right now. We have gotten so ass backward. And it's, again, it's political. You look, listen, I don't care. You as a, a male, I don't care if you're married to a woman. I don't care if you're married to a man. Brian, I don't care if you're married to a horse. Whatever makes you happy. But no, here's what the situation is in America now. We've taken all these supposed marginalized groups. And now we have to turn that around and we have to bow down 
to the few. COVID is a perfect example. If I don't want to do it, then I'm not going to do it. And you don't, you don't get to tell me that I have to. But we're seeing things now where, again, it's the marginal, the supposed marginalized groups. Now it's like, okay, one person has a problem. We have to change everything we do because legitimately or not, that person is offended. Whether they're offended honestly or they want the attention. And I, 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 it's, it's very hard for me because in just a few short years, we've seen this country just flipped on its ear. And well, I, I, I don't understand it. Something like, you said in the article that is so true is you said, you know, while we are fighting amongst each other as adults, our kids are suffering. Our kids are the losers of this whole thing. I'm not a loser. You're not a loser. The mask wearer is not the loser. The person that's resisting it, the, the kids are the losers. Nobody's, nobody's winning in this. And you made such a good point there. And I think that's probably the core reason why that article is being shared uh, every couple of minutes by somebody. And I, I, I appreciate your uh, humility and sharing a lot of personal things that article um, you even said yourself that your daughter uh, going into her second year of at-home learning she's fallen behind and I don't I, I'm sure that you're probably speaking for a lot of people I know myself uh, I'm not a dumb guy by any means but I'm not a teacher I'm not I'm not a tutor um, I, nor am I interested to be one so I can only imagine the situation you and all these parents are in that have kids that are at a learning age are, you know, this isn't even about sports, this part, right? I mean, they are struggling from a sports aspect, but they're struggling even more from an education. And I appreciate you sharing what you share. Just any thoughts there on, on what you've experienced? Any, anything else you'd like to go into more detail on? Well, my son, he's, he's in second grade this year. And... We did. He has ADHD, we think. And he's a boy. So, I mean, <laughs> naturally, young boys can't sit still for five minutes. So we're, we're not sure. It's probably somewhere in the middle of that. So we're, we're doing Zoom last year. And you can't get him to sit still for two seconds. So he's not paying attention. And these are first graders at the time. All of the kids are just being loud. It's hard to learn. It's, it's complete chaos, and it, it's not the teacher's fault. No matter what she did, you, you, you can't discipline somebody over a Zoom call. Yeah. You can't say we're taking away your, your uh, recess or whatever. Yep. But, but honestly, I mean, I feel like he didn't even come close to learning what he needed to learn that year. Uh, the first grade year is a, is a big developmental year. I mean, that's he's the third time I've been through it. And he, he really struggled. And, and there are things, you know, where it was a little bit different because my grandparents were still alive, but there are still, he, he's still working on his reading as a second grader 
Whereas my oldest daughter, who she got a lot of more one-on-one attention because she was the only great grandkid at that point. She was reading before she went to preschool. These kids are getting left behind and it's not because they don't have, they aren't getting a good education. It's because it's impossible. Now my kids are in school now, but I'm, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop, so to speak, because there are so many people out there in West Virginia that are just pushing, pushing, pushing for mandatory vaccination, mandatory masks, homeschooling. Like, I'm sorry. I, and I don't, this, I'm, I'm not saying this as a woe is me. I, I'm just stating a fact. I'm a divorced parent. I've got three kids, three jobs, and we're playing four sports right now. There's just not any time. And as you mentioned, I'm not a teacher at all. Like if it's English or something like that, spelling, yeah, I got you. They bring home math that they don't understand. You know what I have to do? I have to have my 13-year-old sit down beside him and say, hey, listen, because that's another thing. They're not even doing math the way that we did it when we grew up. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's completely foreign to me. Yep. Well, as a parent and for all of our parents out there, uh, I'm definitely thinking and wishing the best for you. And I hope this school year goes as close to of normal that we think of, you know, something that nobody's really, nobody really knows yet because we're being tested right now. We are the research group is what is this going to do to our kids long-term from a social aspect? You said earlier that first grade is such an important foundational year. I agree. Heck, I think first grade through 20 years old are incredible foundation years of developing your personality. And your personality to me is formed um, in social settings like that. Otherwise, we would just be virtually the same people our parents are because that's the only people you're around until you go to school. Uh, I, I, I really hope that I really, really hope that the long-term effects are not as bad as I think they're going to be. I think for some of these kids, and I'm not going to pretend to be an expert, I don't know what the most critical years are, whether it's first grade or fourth grade or sixth grade, but there's kids in the last year that missed those grades socially and academically. And I think that's going to have tremendous long-term impacts. And, and not only do they miss those years, Sean, they miss those years in fear. So rather than learning, these kids were embedded with this this concept of fear uh, to be around other people. So they went from being in a situation where they're encouraged to be social to a setting and situation where they are asked not to be social, to not have contact, to not be around somebody, not be close to somebody. And that's not something that's just going to return this year and next year. Even if they're in school, they're still going to have, likely, they're probably still going to have this subconscious uh, thing that's keeping them from being as social as normal. Uh, I hope I'm wrong in all that, but I think this is going to have long-term consequences. We don't even realize yet. Let me give you a couple examples of why this is so frustrating to me. Okay. Number one, everybody saw it this weekend, college football. 
100,000 people in stadiums, shoulder to shoulder. We're good. Okay? Like I, my kids, and again, I, I, please, I, if anybody hears this, don't misunderstand. I'm not ripping on my kids' school. They go to a very good school that we are very, very happy with. And it, honestly, it's the best decision that my ex-wife and I have ever made for our children. Bar none, not even close. But they got to wear masks. Sports are still going on. You're still playing sports without masks. You're right up in people's faces, okay? And then there's this. This past weekend at my ex-wife's house, guess what? My two girls, four of their friends, spending the night. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing that to, to single out my ex-wife because she's a great mom. But you can't tell me that's the only house that's happening in. Right, right. So these kids are still around each other constantly. And my kids were around their friends all summer. Which they should be, right? Exactly. It's, I feel like we've got one foot in the door and the other foot out. It's, it's got to be, in my mind anyway, and, and people are saying, oh, well, you're, you know, it's not that black and white. It, it is to me. It's either the most dangerous thing in the world or it's not. So either let us live our lives the normal way or shut us down and let's see where that leads us in the streets. Yep. There are really no other options. This, this, this half in, half out bull crap is for the birds. It's, again, it's, it's either the most serious thing in the world or it isn't. It can't be both. Yep. Well, Sean, thank you for putting that article together. Again, for those who haven't read it, you can head over to our website. COVID's here to stay. Let the kids play. So speaking of playing, this past week in high school football, we had a dandy of a weekend. We ended up having four shutouts, Belair, Shadyside, Payton City. And on this podcast last week, I gave some heck to John Marshall. They were going up to Weir. And John Marshall ended up pitching a shutout theirself, which was great to see. What a rebound from week one to week two, where they had 50 points scored on them uh, in week one. I think they only scored a touchdown. Then they come back and they get the shutout uh, over, over a, a decent weird team there. Big wins from Blair and Shadyside and Peyton City. I don't have them in front of me, but I believe they scored 56 points, uh, 56 nothing in their shutout. We had a high-scoring game. At Cambridge and Meadowbrook, 94 total points scored. Meadowbrook ended up winning 48 to 46. Sean, you know what I loved about this game? Meadowbrook was actually down in this game, 21 nothing. Cambridge was up 21 nothing, and came and Meadowbrook came back to win 48 46. I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn just in that alone. Most teams are down 21 nothing. Uh, you know they're they're hanging their cleats up. Meadowbrook comes back and scores 48 points. Not often a shady this Cambridge team scores 46 points. Uh, that will probably be the last time this year in the Ohio Valley that a team scores 46 points and loses. 
I uh, want to give recognition here to Meadowbrook's quarterback, Josh Hupp. Uh, this kid was on fire, threw for 352 yards, five touchdowns. And you know what impressed me about, about the stat line is of his 352 yards, he spread that out across four different receivers. Uh, one of his receivers did have 110 yards, but the rest of them all had 60, 70 yards. So it wasn't like he was just hitting one or two guys. He ended up completing a pass to eight different receivers that game. So that's a name we should watch out for this year in Josh Hupp. 782 total yards in that game. Uh, awesome performance between those two rivals. And then uh, last but certainly not least, on this podcast last week, I said, hey, watch out for Wheeling Park going up to Steubenville. Uh, the Patriots will keep this game within 10 points. And you know what, Sean? I was right for about two and a half quarters. Wheeling Park was actually up at two different points in this game, including the third quarter. And then uh, the big red, they just they just took control of this game. Uh, I think the uh, you know, Wheeling Park played with a lot of emotion. Uh, they played up-tempo. Uh, Steubenville was just steadfast. When that emotion started to, to wear off for Wheeling Park, talent just kicked in for Big Red, and they ended up winning pretty big. Uh, scored 28 points just in the fourth quarter alone. Sean, any thoughts from the uh, slate this past weekend from you? Well, the Wheeling Park game is obviously the one that stands out. And what it comes down to really is every year we talk about the athletes Big Red has but they get it done up front on both sides of the ball. And the difference is Wheeling Park's playing a lot of young kids to begin with, replacing all 11 starters on offense. All right. What begins to happen in a game like that is Big Red's twos and threes, there's not a drop-off. Yep. Wheeling, Wheeling Park doesn't have those twos and threes yet because they're so so young. So it was just – it was a case of Wheeling Park got worn down and, and Big Red just kept pounding on him, pounding on him, pounding on him. And you could see midway second quarter, Park had some kids with their hands on their hips because they hadn't played the majority of the time. You know, they couldn't afford to go even younger. And eventually those, those big guys laying on you, it takes its toll, especially this time of year when it's still a little bit warm. It's not terrible. It was about 80 on on Friday night. But when you're not used to that, and those guys are just they, – they keep hitting you in the mouth over and over and over. Eventually, your body gives out whether you, your mind does or not. So on our message boards, we've got a we've got a we got a lot of fans from all over the Ohio Valley. Uh, certainly, we have some Steubenville fans as well that are uh, very consistent posters in the message board. And we had a couple posters that said something very similar. Uh, they basically said, "Hats off to Wheeling Park. They came they came up with some swagger." And uh, we had Coach Davis on last week. Coach Davis said, "Hey, we we feel like we're up." 10 nothing when you're on the bus and you see the fire breathing horse and some of these posters, I'm paraphrasing uh, what they said, but uh, they basically said, you know, Wheeling park uh, was not intimidated in the least that they were, they were face mask to face mask, uh, you know, shoulder to shoulder uh, after every play with the players. It didn't sound like it was unsportsmanlike chippy, but neither team was backing down from each other. And I don't know why that surprised me. I, I, I didn't think that Wheeling Park would necessarily go up there scared, but I didn't think that they would go toe to toe, face face, face mask to face mask, um, you know, getting, you know, with that kind of mentality. So um, we, we said Wheeling Park's a year away and that, that's, that should be pretty encouraging. Um, those two and a half quarters should be pretty encouraging for all the Patriots fans out there. You know, and another game I want to mention 
which if you know if park and big red was a game of the week 1a had to be fairmont senior at lindsley on saturday lindsley with just a huge huge win over the defending class double a state champion fairmont 31 22 and did not think they would win that game well, did not think they'd win it i didn't either which you know what here in a couple of weeks that's that's going to set up a big one at Harding between Lindsley and Steubenville. That will be interesting. Uh, for those who have not seen our Power 15 rankings, Lindsley is ranked number two behind a number one Steubenville Big Red team. Uh, so it'll be an interesting couple of weeks to see how that shakes out. If you haven't seen the full rankings, please head over to our website to check that out. We had a couple of teams drop off this past weekend and a couple of teams, several teams move up in, in, in the rankings. Sean, you touched on college football a little bit, and we actually talked a little bit on Saturday. I had three games, I had three games <laughs> in front of me, one on the TV, then one on each tablet. Um, I enjoyed every minute of, of this weekend. It just felt it, it felt normal. All these fans in the stands, um, you know, it literally gives you goosebumps watching, you know, starting off with college game day. And, you know, seeing that experience and hearing that and they're in Charlotte and uh, just watching the games all day long. There, there wasn't a bad game on TV. It just felt different. Um, you, you touched on uh, the Notre Dame game, the, the Florida State game. I don't know if that game would have happened in that fourth quarter. I don't know if that comeback would have happened without fans in the stands. I think that that momentum shift, granted Florida State didn't win the game, but I think that momentum shift to take it in overtime, that was that was the 12th man right there. Those were the fans. That was my biggest takeaway from Saturday. It wasn't necessarily anything that happened in a game. It was seeing the normalcy. And I'll admit it, I'm guilty too. I, it was something that, you're just you're so accustomed to seeing it over and over and over every year that you take it for granted. And then all of a sudden, I'll be honest with you, I didn't watch a whole lot of sports last year because I just could not do it without the fans. The, the excitement, you know, NBA, a guy goes up for a tomahawk dunk over some guy and posterizes him, and it's like, eh, who cares? There's no reaction. <laughs> yep. You know, college football, NFL, it was just – we had it taken away, and – I'm just so glad to see it, you know, jump around at Wisconsin at Camp Randall Stadium. That was just that got posted everywhere by every outlet on mm. on uh, Twitter. I mean, it's just those things that aren't big in the grand scheme of things, but it's unbelievable to see them back. I mean, it's just I, I, I again, I felt like I could sit down and actually watch games again. and probably because of that I was watching games that I had no interest in either of the teams whatsoever just because same. it was like holy crap I can't get enough of this I felt exactly the same tell me if you noticed this I I am being literal when I say this I'm pretty sure that there is an ejection in every game I watched from uh an unsportsmanlike head head-to-head -head, uh connection whatever they the, the actual term is for that and so I got two thoughts. One thought is, did, are they making that targeting call? Are they being stricter on it this year? And then the other thought is, 
every game they were being incredibly critical of the rule this year that penalty sure ejection doesn't make sense um and I, I literally i think there was an ejection in every game i watched and i don't player safety absolutely important these these are college kids very few of them are going to go play the nfl i don't want to see any kid get cte early i i didn't see i didn't see one hit that i felt like was outside of a football play uh, and maybe that's just the old school in, in us because we grew up watching a, a very violent game. It's not that violent anymore. But none of these hits to me warrant ejections. And, and the announcers were pretty vocal of that, too. Any thoughts from you on that? You know, part of me wants to say that the officials have been put in a no-win situation because they're, there's, they're told this year, that there should be added emphasis on this. And I agree with you that the first instance should not be an ejection. It, the, the punishment just does not fit the crime. Um, it, but going back to the, the officials part of it, I want to say that they're putting a no-win situation, but every one of these goes to review. If you're going to have a review and still not get it right, what's the point? All you're doing is bogging it down. Yeah, I feel I feel really bad for these kids because <laughs> it's not COVID, but it, it's being taken away from them. And I, I probably I would say eighty five percent of the time, it's not worth it. It's it, it's not in the spirit of the rule. And I don't know if you saw this last week. There, there was a video going around about Tom Brady was talking about this, not in college football, but how he was. He's like, listen, I'm sitting back there. I'm just throwing the ball up because the defense can't do anything. 90% of the time is going to be a penalty. He's like, he right. said, it, football is not what it used to be. The defense can't win. And that really struck me because, uh, you know, I felt that way for a, a couple of years now, but to hear somebody who's not only involved in it, but who somebody of that caliber and somebody who's a quarterback who that probably benefits more than anybody in the game these days. I mean, you, you, you've got on a quarterback, if you're a, a linebacker or a defensive lineman or whatever, you have like a three-inch target on a quarterback's body where you can touch him, or it's 15 yards. It's just it, – I don't want to be that guy, but it's a broader thought on society. People want us to be a softer society and we're becoming a softer society and it's in sports is not immune to it. Yep. So let's talk about two games specifically that are of interest to our listeners, Ohio state and WVU. Let's, let's start with the Buckeyes since they played first earlier in the week. They, they, they kicked off on what was that Friday night game and I'm a, I'm a Buckeye fan, as I've mentioned before, so I try not to be biased here when, it, when in my opinion. Um, I thought it was an exciting game. I thought it was a fun game. Um, it was a typical week one game. Um, I like the fact that they didn't blow them out. I like the fact that they were challenged. I think it keeps you honest. I think it gives you something to coach to. Um, something that drove me nuts, though, Sean, is – you know, as I'm watching a game uh, during, during timeouts or commercials, I'll, I'll look through Twitter and um, 
I, I joke to say Buckeye faithful because I question how faithful these folks are. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout the whole game, people were saying, we, we need to, who's our backup quarterback? It's time to bring somebody in. And I think this is a problem with Buckeye fans because we've been so good lately. And I think this is a problem that college football is creating is you have to be perfect. If you lose a game in college football, you're, you're almost, you're basically out. And we, we, we expect perfection. The quarterback for Ohio State, he didn't play a bad game. He, he missed some passes. Uh, he, he had some nervousness in him. He overthrew a couple guys. He, he threw some incompletions and people were calling for the backup. He threw an interception and people were calling for the backup. I, I get that, that he's clearly not as good as Justin Fields, but not a lot of quarterbacks will be. Um, so that, that was, that was kind of, that was kind of tough, you know, as, as a Buckeye fan to see all the other Buckeyes, you know, saying pull, pull the string on this guy in week one at that, uh, I think you're expected, you should be expected to have mistakes there. Then on the flip side, you know, I'm, I'm a Buckeye fan by certainly I want to see WV one too. What a disappointing game there. I didn't, I, I didn't have exactly high hopes for WV this year. Uh, but I did not expect them to lose that week one game uh, to Maryland. Any thoughts on those two teams from this past weekend from you, Sean? Well, first of the Ohio State thing, I'm not, I make no bones about it. I am not a Ohio State fan. I'm a high State hater, if anything. <laughs> but it, it was comical to me, just what you were talking about, uh, going through Twitter as this game's going on, and these fans are just losing it, okay? Losing it, yep. Just take, take a step back for a minute couple things number one this is this kid's first start never played at this level before okay give him a chance number two this isn't the normal ohio state schedule where you open up with three other ohio has uh, never bins okay yep, yep you're playing minnesota minnesota's got a really good coach minnesota's not a joke yep you came out with a win that bodes way better for you down the line. The, right out of the boat, you got tested. You found a way. Now, they're going to have to shore some things up on defense. Gave up way too many points. They're going to be fine. And I, I, will, I will go against one thing you said. Most teams, except for about three or four, if you lose a game in college football, you're out. If you're Ohio State, if you're Alabama, if you're Clemson, if you're Notre Dame, you're still going to find a way in. I'm really glad you brought that up. I didn't. We didn't plan on talking about this, but I think that's a great segue. I agree with you, and I don't think it's exactly because of who they are. I think it when when you like Clemson, for example, uh, they were ranked number one in the preseason poll, number two, one or two. Uh, they looked terrible the other day. They had two rushing yards uh, and they're ranked sixth in the country. If that was the sixth best team in the country, it's going to be a long football season. They're not based off week one. They're not the sixth best team in the country. They're not even in the top 25. The problem with that, Sean, is when you rank somebody one and they lose a game, they're not going to fall past 10. So if you're still in the top 10 in the first half of the year, you can you, you control your destiny. You got or you have a good chance at it. I I've I've said for the last couple of years since the playoffs started, they should not create official rankings 
until about the fifth week of the season, because up to if you're ranked number one heading into the season, you own it. You can still lose a game and you, you're probably still going to get in, you know, as compared to a couple of years ago. We saw uh, the first one that jumps out of me is uh, Central Florida. They went undefeated and the best they could finish was like 12th in the country because they started the year ranked 88th. Is that their fault? They ranked 88th, right? Now, a lot of people said, hey, they wouldn't have been competitive. Well, they played Auburn in a bowl game and they whipped them. So who knows what they would have did? Um, as long as we continue to give preseason rankings to schools that that haven't stepped on the field yet, that have a brand new, how, how can you rank a team that's had a quarterback that's never played college football yet? You have no idea what this kid's going to do, right? Hence what we saw. It, granted, Clemson's quarterback did play a little bit last year, uh, but he didn't look like it in week one. And I'm being critical here, but they didn't look good. They didn't look like the, the number one, the number two, or the number six team. And they will probably get in the playoffs if they went out. Uh, which they will win out because the ACC is just not very strong this year. At least they're not supposed to be. I've said for years, I, I've been harping on the preseason rankings. It, it's just not fair. Let's take it's for not. an example. Uh, uh, let's take for an example, WBU. Something like the 13th winningest program in college football history. Which, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and try to tell you they're on the level of an Alabama or a high state or a Clemson. I'm not. Now, once maybe once a decade, they'll get in there, but they more often than not are going to start the season unranked. Yep. They've more got to fight not, their yep. way all the way up. Yep. And not only do you have to fight your way up, not only do you have to win games, you have to hope the people in front of you also fall. Yep. Where the same teams, I mean, think about it. It's almost like Major League Baseball you got like four teams who have a chance because no matter what they do, unless they absolutely positively implode, they're going to have a shot. Yep. Because they start one, two, three, and four, and they lose, and they're not going to get bumped down that far. Yep. It's a joke. I mean, it, it really is, and I've said it for years, but on the flip side of that, it doesn't really matter, Brian. Everybody's playing for second. Alabama's that damn good again. It's just, it's, it's sickening. They put everybody, everybody. If, if you go to Alabama and you don't get drafted, that's on you. Period. Yep. You, you have nobody else to blame. That's how good they are. Everywhere else, and, and we've talked about this a lot in, in relation to nil. Everywhere else in the country, in Ohio State, Alabama had a wide receiver scoring touchdowns and getting uh, like 150 yards who transferred from Ohio state. Yep. Like Alabama is the only place that has been able to figure out how to get kids there and say, listen, you might not play for three years, but that third year or that fourth year, you're going to blow up and you're going to get drafted and the kids stay. It's the only place in the country. Yep. I don't know what, I don't know what Nick Saban's and now with nil, it's never going to happen ever. You'll never see a kid leave there. You're absolutely right. And it's, I, I used to dislike Alabama and it has grown and evolved to a respect, uh, a respect of, I don't think we will ever see in my lifetime, our lifetime, a college coach do what Nick Saban has been able to do. 
I, I don't think we're going to see that. The next closest is probably Dabo Sweeney. We are we are living in a very special time of of coaching dynasties right now in college football. It's pretty special to watch. And you know, you mentioned how you used to basically hate Alabama, and now it's going. I'm I'm the same way with Tom Brady. Like I despised him, probably because the Steelers couldn't beat him, <laughs> yeah. and he's winning all these Super Bowls. But it just got to a point where I'm like man, I respect the hell out of this dude. And honestly, the greatest thing, at least in, in for me, that Tom Brady has ever done is get on Twitter because he has become infinitely more likable. And it, it, I can only speak for me, but it went from me thinking he was basically a robot to like, wow, this guy's got some personality. He's funny. It's just like, now I'm like, I'd love to go have some freaking beers with this guy. I agree. I, I read his book, TB12, two years ago. And the amount of respect I had for him after I read this book, I didn't think, I didn't think negatively or necessarily positively of Tom Brady before I read this book. It was, I was very neutral. And I read this book and respected the hell out of him. Um, he hasn't been this way his entire career, but for the last, say, five or six years, it is no accident the shape he's in, the condition he's in, the way he looks. Um, his, his, he treats his body uh, like a, like a, you know, like a, a high-performance car, only putting the best into it. Granted, he's in a financial position to do that, but <laughs> a lot, a lot of those guys are in a financial position to do that, and they don't. Um, you know, from the from when he gets up to what he eats to what he drinks to when he goes to bed, there's a reason he's in his 40s and he's still playing at an extremely high level. Um, and it's just, yeah, a lot of respect for what he's doing. He he lives a much, much, much more disciplined life than me. I, you know, that's what I was gonna say. I, that's probably, you know, forget the skills, forget the Super Bowls. That's probably the thing I respect most about him because he just has discipline and he has a commitment that outside of my kids there's nothing that i have even close to that commitment in life nothing completely agree yep hey before we move on from college football because we're starting to get in the nfl i gotta hear your thoughts on brian kelly so the talk of social media was at the end of this notre dame florida state game which first i'll say i didn't even watch it until halftime because i didn't think this was even going to be an interesting game and boy, was I wrong, because I really enjoyed the second half. Uh, at the end of the game, they put a microphone in front of Brian Kelly's face, and, and he said, I'm a fan of execution. I'd like to go execute my whole team. And then he continued on about, you know, he was basically upset about their level of play. Even though they won, uh, he was not thrilled with the way they won. Um, social media has went nuts for, well, they're still going nuts, but the first 24 hours, uh, cancel culture was literally calling on, on, on Brian Kelly to be disciplined for that. He should resign, that he should be fired. Uh, and these, this was people of all levels, uh, high, high level personalities in ESPN were, were even saying the same. Uh, I've got some thoughts here. I would love to hear your Sean. Okay. That's real simple. It's a damn joke, you know, for years. And, and you know, th th this ties in with the Brady thing for years. As somebody who's followed sports religiously, it's been my life since I was old enough to know what sports were. We talk about how all oh, these guys are so bland. They never give us anything. 
Right there's why. He try, the guy tries to poke a little fun, which, by the way, John McKay did in 1979 as the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He said the same damn thing. Same thing. And now, all of a sudden, because of how we are, we're, we're just – we're pissed. And I, I, I got on after the game, and I saw this, and I was shocked. I, I, I should have been, I guess, but I was because people were – up in arms about it i'm like you gotta be kidding me i mean it was meant to be funny and and what what makes me more mad about the outrage of it is is he's gonna have to issue some sort of statement or he's gonna have to say something in a press conference and that is just awful it goes back to if one person in society is offended by something we have to make sure that we do something to where they're not offended just just stop just Take a joke and allow people to have a little bit of personality. Now, I I get it. Brian Kelly's a jerk. So that makes it a little little bit understandable. So he hasn't given himself much room for mistakes, even though I don't think this is a mistake, just because of some of the stuff he said before and done. And obviously, we had a tragedy there one year where somebody was was filming – Notre Dame's practice and, and was killed off of scaffolding. But that doesn't mean that Brian Kelly has to go his entire life being serious and not, not joking with people. Like, what, <laughs> what would people think about me? What would, what would people say about me? What would I have to apologize for if somebody listened to some of my phone conversations or read some yeah. of my text messages? Like, just let's just give it a rest. I'll tell you what, what, what I had a couple of things stick out to me. And this, the, one of the biggest things that stuck out to me about that exchange wasn't actually the execution comment. It was how pissed he was. I'm not a, I'm not a Notre Dame fan and I'm not particularly a Brian Kelly fan, but I actually loved that exchange. And I'll tell you why I said, I didn't watch the first half because I think it's it's crazy that Notre Dame was ranked 15th in the nation or 14th, 16th. There's somewhere around there. And we talked earlier just a little bit ago about preseason rankings. I, I don't think Notre Dame's a top 25 team, but what do I know? So at the end of the game, the way he acted was, to me, a coach that thinks his team is way better than to go into overtime with the team they played against. I saw a coach that absolutely believes he has a top 15 program and that they, if they would execute and play the way they should have, that they would have blown that other team out. And, and he clearly believed that he was not, he was, he didn't have the mentality of, Hey, I'm just happy to be ranked and I'm glad to get through this game. And I'm glad that we made it to overtime. He had the mentality of it's embarrassing that this team even got into overtime. It's embarrassing that we even let this other team play with us. That was what I took away from it. And I said, you know what? This guy obviously knows that team pretty well. I don't think he'd be that pissed if he didn't think he had a pretty good team, right? He knows the difference between what a good football team is and what it isn't. He also knows how to act in front of a camera. Um, That's the other thing I want to say there too is 
couple years ago, we saw uh, Richard Sherman getting a lot uh, of, of hot water because they put a camera in his face seconds after he, he broke up a pass and he was, had a high emotion and people were saying you know, all kinds of things about him. Well, that's what happens when you put a camera in front of somebody that just made it a pl the player of their career less than a minute ago. And I think we also saw that with him. That's what happens when you put a camera in a coach's face that literally just won the game off of a field goal less than a minute ago. Uh, there's so much emotion that is, you can't even explain it from a player to a coach. You can't explain it. And the emotion that I saw from him was raw. And I mean that it, it was raw. You, you got to feel what it's like to be on the sidelines after your team just won. And to me, again, I, I felt how pissed he was that we shouldn't even have been in this situation to begin with. To me as a fan, I thought that was kind of cool. Now going to the execution comment, I want to slightly disagree with you, Sean. I didn't have a problem with the comment. I don't think he was trying to be funny. Again, I think he was pissed. I don't think he literally wants to execute his team, but I think that you put the camera in front of him and he was pissed. I, I don't think at any point he was trying to be funny. I think he, he said something that a coach would say in the locker room to their players. And when I'm reading these comments on Twitter, I'm thinking, I'm, I don't care what the sport is. I'm reading these comments. I'm thinking I'm, 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 I feel like a lot of these people have never been in a locker room under a, an emotional coach because that comment he made, I've heard a lot worse. I've heard a lot worse as a player. I've heard a lot worse as a coach hearing other coaches. And for people that, that have never been in a locker room, they don't want to believe that. That comment is nothing compared to the emotion that goes on behind closed doors. And people got to see what that behind, in my opinion, they got a little glimpse right there of what behind closed doors is like in the Notre Dame locker room. That was probably, after he got to that locker room, that was probably about the 35th most offensive thing that was said. Let's be honest. And I, I don't think a lot of people understand this. And, and you brought up a good point with the Richard Sherman thing, and I said it at the time, the same thing. And now with Brian Kelly, if you've ever covered sports, whether – at the college level or the pro level as a journalist you have to wait at least 10 minutes it's called a cool down process because they want to avoid things like that you have to wait 10 minutes before you can talk to anybody because if you've never played at a high level and i haven't but because of my job i understand it the adrenaline that's going through your body, it causes things to come out of your mouth that would never come out of your mouth in a relaxed setting. Yep. Because as I mentioned, you know, coaches usually, they try to, and again, I don't have anything, I don't have any problem whatsoever with what he said, but that's beside the point. Coaches and players, most generally, 95% of them, try to give you nothing while still giving you something Yep. because they just don't want to have the distraction that this kind of thing, which is nothing has caused. And everybody always gets upset. They say, I don't know why these, they do these sideline interviews. They're, they're never worth anything. You never get anything out of them. Now we do. And we're pissed about that too. So maybe as a society, we're just looking for things to be pissed off about. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. It's like, what? let me get on Twitter to see what we're upset about today. 
that's the truth. That's the honest to God truth. It's like uh, there, there's there's been a meme circulating for the last ten years, and it's like, "Good morning, Facebook. Tell me what am I pissed about today?" <laughs> oh, it's the truth. So, hey, let's tie this thing up. Let's go to the NFL. We've got football kicking off around the NFL, specifically our Pittsburgh Steelers. Two topics for you, Sean, or two questions. And I'm going to hand it over to you, let you tie us up. Also on social media, there's been a, a lot of dialogue about the Steelers captains, which I find interesting because I'm willing to bet most of these people that are upset about the captains probably have no idea who our captains were last year, or the year before, or the year before that. So all, all of a sudden, our captains is a big topic. Uh, specifically, TJ Watt's not in there. Also heard some people saying Juju should be in there. I even saw a comment they went Najee Harris in there, Mika Fitzpatrick. Uh, so there's, there's conversation about our captains and then take us home. What's your prediction for us over the bills? I, I think we're going to beat the bills to be honest with you. Um, I think it'd be a low scoring game, but as far as the captains go, listen, I love TJ Watt. He can do no wrong in my eyes, but I'm not in that locker room. And I'm telling you, he hasn't practiced. He has not done anything to earn that captaincy. He just hasn't. As far as Juju goes, listen, I like the guy. He's as immature as they come. You never know what he's going to do. Listen, I love cocky players, but this crap with dancing on the logos all last year, that, that, that rubbed me the wrong way. That's just That's just – you can have fun without being disrespectful. There's this stupid thing going on right now. Sean, let me, the- let me ask you a question there. Hold on. So would it have rubbed you differently if he would have backed it up with his play? No. I, I To a degree, yes. But overall, no. I mean, it's just, again, as a guy who's been doing this, this kind of thing for 24 years, you know, and I covered hockey for 13 of those years. Hockey – they have an emblem on the floor of the locker room, the team's emblem, the logo. I'm going to tell you something. You step on that logo, whether you're a media guy, an equipment manager, whatever, huh, you're going to hear about it. It's disrespectful. You don't do it. We always talk about play for, play for what's on the front of your shirt, not what's on the back of your shirt. They take it seriously, and you just can't do it. It's not funny. It's not cute. And now there's this milk crate thing challenge going around where people are running down milk crates. Listen, bud, you're a week out from, do- from the regular season, and you're doing that. I, you know, I, I was surprised he came back, but he came back because nobody else wanted it. He thought he was. He thought there was going to be big money out there, and he couldn't get it. So he came back for one year, eight mil. Personally, I'm ready to see him go because his production has fallen down since Antonio Brown left. Not not fallen down. It's plummeted. Let's be honest. And he's just. I don't know if it's the wide receiver diva thing that we we've always heard about. It's just. It, it's everything else but football with the guy. I mean, he, he, he's everywhere doing this, doing that, and just. 
I don't think he's right. I don't think he's right fit for us. I like him, but here's what I mean is he he he's not a stretch receiver for us. He's not we have players on our team that are faster than him to stretch the field. He we have him as our possession receiver, kind of like that slot receiver. I don't think he wants to play that. He does he, go, he goes over the middle with with alligator arms. You know, he doesn't want to stretch out. We tried, we thought that he could be, you know, an Antonio Brown replacement. And he, no, he wants to stretch the field. He wants to run posts. Um, you know, he wants to run flag routes and that's, that's not what we're doing with him. I think he's better fit for a different team. I do too, but nobody else wanted him. So you're in a situation where you're almost stuck with him. I, I think, honestly, I hate to say this, but I, I'd like to see him have a big year this year. Not only so we win, but so somebody says, I, I, we need him and overpays him to uh to just go away i'm tired of it and it and it sucks for me to say that because when he first got here i absolutely loved the kid loved him but it's just i i don't feel like anymore the orange is worth the squeeze so to speak there's too much uh i think the steelers are actually going to win about 10 games this year and they'll get in like they always do, but I don't think they're going to go anywhere. I, I think offensive line, there, there are too many question marks. We don't have what we did have on the back end. I, I, I think we're really going to miss Mike Hilton as that slot corner because he did a lot. Um, but the, the, the schedule is so tough. It's, it's, it's just brutal this year, at least on paper. Now, I mean, it, it's tough as it pertains to how teams finished last year. That doesn't necessarily mean that's the way it's going to be now. But I'm saying 10 wins, and they'll they'll find a way to get in. I tell you what, I look at our depth chart, and I haven't been this excited about a Steelers team in a long time. I I look at our depth chart. um, Outside of the running back position, we have somebody – at, that can step in four layers deep at receiver. Uh, we finally have uh, two really good tight ends, um, Ebron and, and that boy out of Penn State that I butcher his name every time. Watch out for him. I think he'll be starting by, by halfway through the year. Uh, offensive line is, is probably our weakest category, but it's still um, we've got some depth there that we haven't had in the last couple of years. Defensively, get out of here. This is the strongest defensive team we've had, in my opinion, and, and at least on paper uh, overall in, in 10 years. And I say depth on purpose because that's really what separates most of these teams in the NFL, assuming your quarterback stays healthy, because that's obviously that changes the trajectory of your year. So take the quarterback out of that. What separates the teams in the playoff time is how healthy are they? You know, are you, is, your, is your running back healthy? Is your first string receiver healthy? Is your defense line healthy? Is your linebackers healthy? We've got a depth this year that we haven't had in quite some time. I am maybe being too optimistic here, Sean, but I think we're going to have a heck of a run outside of losing Big Ben, you know, outside of maybe losing a, a, a Minka Fitzpatrick because I don't think you can replace him, you know, outside of, of losing a couple of players here and there. I think 
I think we have an opportunity to make a really, really deep run. Now, I know that I sound like a homer because I am. And I would love to see us make a run here because I don't think Big Ben has many years left. This might be his last. Uh, but I really think that we have a special team this year. I really do. What really concerns me defensively is the same thing as concerned me defensively for a few years now. It's inside linebackers. You know as well as I do that tight ends these days are glorified receivers. They're, they're running four fours, four fives mm-hmm. in six foot six, 260 pound frames. And I don't know if it's our scheme. I don't know what it is. But we always seem to get our inside linebackers matched up on either receivers or tight ends that are actually receivers. And it, it, it sucks for a lot of reasons, but we lost that when, we lost, when Ryan Shazier went down. Mm-hmm. This, this defense would be incredibly different if Ryan Shazier was still there because we thought we had it with Devin Bush and Devin Bush is another one that where, you know, I love the guy. I got his Jersey right off and I just can't stand him now. Can't stand him because of all the off the field crap. And if we can't, you know, last year we had inside linebackers trying to cover Jarvis Landry. Yeah. That's, that's a loss every time. And until we can figure that out, I, I just feel like we're going to have a hard time getting off the field and changing possession downs. Well, call me crazy. I'm, I'm going to go on record now. If we if we can keep Minka, Cam Hayward, Devin Bush, Najee Harris, and Big Ben healthy, you know, if, if they don't get injured uh, a season out or, or miss extended time, if, how about how about if we go in the playoffs with those guys? I'm calling. At minimum, I'm calling an AFC championship game at minimum. If we can go in the playoffs with those guys. I hope you're right. Hey, it just happened a little bit ago, so I don't know if you saw. Did you see who the Ravens signed today? I did not. Le'Veon Bell. Did they really? You know what? Good. I can't wait to crack his ass. (laughs) They're top top three backs. Listen, that's that's who we're competing for for a division. It is. I don't care. Cleveland, listen, Cleveland's going to be Cleveland. I don't. And Cincinnati's not there. Their top three backs are already out for the year. And they had to go get Le'Veon Bell. Well, you know, I, I'm kind of mixed feelings on that. Part of me says good. I want to play him. The other part of me, and this is more the reaction, emotional part of me, just like you, I'm a big Steelers fan. So the other part of me says, hey, the guy's a cancer. So welcome him to your locker room. But then the other part of me says, that boy can play football if the scheme's right. So it could, it could be dangerous if the scheme's right. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I think he's done, to be honest with you. He's 29 now. He's had two reconstructive surgeries. He's barely played the last three years. Yep. He's not certainly going to be the Le'Veon Bell he once was. And what people forget about Le'Veon Bell is he never had that breakaway speed. So yep. he's, he's got less of that now. What I'm yep. looking forward to, and I love the guy, I love what he, he did, was T.J. Watt trying to get blocked by Al Villanueva. Good night. Lamar Jackson's <laughs> going to be in trouble. It's going to be a fun, fun season. So I'm on record. We, Najee, Big Ben, uh, Cam Hayward, Bush, Minka, if they're healthy going into the playoffs, we will be in, in the AFC championship game. Hold me to that, Sean. 
I hope you're right, man. <laughs> Sean, I had a fun week with you. Um, we've got a great slate this coming week. So if we, uh, I'm working on a special guest for us next week, but if we don't, I already know we're going to have a, a full talking slate. I want to remind everyone again that this episode was, was sponsored by Ohio Valley Nutrition. You can find them in the, uh, they're in the parking lot. Uh, of the old Ohio Valley Mall in St. Clairsville. Please see them for all of your supplement needs. This is Ohio Valley Athletics, the Ohio Valley's number one site for sports talk. We'll talk to you next week.